Hi, and welcome to Only the Avatar. An Avatar, the last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm Veda. And I'm Christina. And today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 11, The Great Divide. But before we get into the episode, Veda, how's your week been? Week's been good. I went like hiking. The weather's been nice this weekend, but now it's so hot. I'm dying. But um, during the weekend, like during my lazy time, I watched a bunch of episodes of the Babysitter's Club. I finished it. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) It was so good. Like, I vaguely remember reading the books, but Mm -hmm. like, I remember Claudia so much. And I was like, oh, Claudia, she's Asian like me. Like, I remember that growing up. You know what I mean? I used to love the books. I loved Claudia. And then I also just like, they did a great job with the reboot. It's difficult to bring something like that that was very 80s, 90s, you know, very much of a moment. And I think they did a really great job. I mean, obviously, some of the stuff like the landline, I was like, question mark. But they did a great job revamping it. I like like how they made the cast a little bit more diverse. I like their outfits. I like I don't know. It was just such a fun watch, and it just made me so nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my favorite character was Karen. She was just so wild and weird, and it's so interesting to see like a baby named Karen because now Karens are middle-aged women who yell for management. You know, I feel bad. Well, actually, I don't. But I'm like, oh god, anyone named Karen right now is just uh... yeah. <laughs> They're like probably going by their middle name or their last name. Yeah, it's like you never know. Like, imagine being named Felicia in like 1980, and then Friday comes out, and everyone's telling you, Bye, Felicia. You just never know what it's going to be. <laughs> but, fun fact uh, Netflix is actually coming out with, I think it's a documentary called The Claudia Kishi Fan Club. So, it's it'll be out July 10th. So, it'll be out by the time this podcast airs. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, so I got to check it out. We'll probably talk about it next episode. Do you remember <laughs> like old school um, fan clubs that you would have to write like in the back of the paperback, they would give you a little slip and you would tear it out and fill it out and mail it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally remember that. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Good times. I'm off my nostalgia trip. So let's jump into the episode. <laughs> yeah, so The Great Divide, it debuted on May 20th, 2005. Um, And it was named after the Great Divide, that canyon in the episode. But there's actually a real life Great Divide, and it's the Atlantic Pacific Continental Divide. Mm. And that's a mountainous ridge that separates the watersheds that drain into the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean. So it's like kind of the opposite. like It's like a puzzle. I love that. Yeah. And this is actually the lowest rated episode on IMDb. Fun fact. I didn't think it was that bad. It's like a well-known, like, the worst episode of Avatar. I disagree. Uh, I mean, we'll have to see. I haven't really, like, thought about any other episode. I guess I know that this is the lowest-ranked episode. Um, But I enjoyed the episode overall. It just doesn't, like, bring the plot forward. Um, And even though it's the lowest-rated episode, guess what its score is? What? A 7.1, which isn't bad. (laughs) Honestly, I enjoyed watching this more than I enjoyed watching Jet. 
Uh, yeah, I think the Jet episode is frustrating, uh, and this one isn't as frustrating to me, I guess. But even, like, the writers knew that everyone hated this episode. In, like, season three, there's that Ember Island Players episode mm-hmm. where they redo all the episodes, kind of, and they just fly past the canyon in the play because, like, we're not going to revisit this. Everyone hated this. <laughs> it's just very much a filler episode. But at the same time, I don't know. Like, I think... You know what it is? I think out of the episodes, this very much feels like a kid's show episode. While I think some of the other ones, like they're tied to the larger story, so they don't feel as young. So if it's an older Mm -hmm. viewer watching, which I'm assuming it is because they're they're reviewing it on IMDb, you know? Yeah, like an eight-year-old isn't going to do that. Unless eight-year-olds do that. I don't think they do. Not now, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like not then at least, maybe now, but not then. So I feel like it's definitely this is very much a kids episode, which is fun, but like yeah, it doesn't move the plot forward. It doesn't give you like you know it's written in a very like upfront way that you would tell a story to a kid. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. But yeah, I I well I guess we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So <laughs> it opens up like I thought this was interesting. We get a reminder of what's happened so far at the top of the episode. This is the first of like only like five episodes where they do a recap of what's happening. Which is interesting. I don't know what happened, the reasoning for that, but that was a fun fact I read. I guess it's, we've had a few um, filler episodes, so we just kind of wanted to remind the audience, like, okay, you know, we had, like, part one and part two of the spirit world, which were really highly intense episodes, and then we've had a few, like, three episodes of coming down the mountain, right? So I think, like, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, guys, review. Things are still building up, even though we've had some light episodes, so since Comet is coming, they're still trying to go to the North Pole. The pressure is mounting and they're just working on mastering waterbending. But that pressure is mounting. That Comet's going to come this summer and Aang still has a really tight mission. Yeah, it's just interesting that they like did a recap when it that recap had nothing to do with the episode. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay. Like, I didn't need to know any of this information. <laughs> Maybe the kids forgot. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, we start off with Sokka and Katara are like sibling fight to the max. They're at each other's throats. You know, they're just like fighting about dumb camping stuff. Like Katara wants things done in a certain way. She wants that tarp up, even though it's the dry season to protect the tent. But Sokka's like, what's the point? I'd rather use it as a blanket. Yeah. And then Sokka insults her and tells her that she needs to get better firewood and get more of it. And we just see that Katara is way more cautious and meticulous about things compared to Sokka, at least in this episode. Because I think overall, Sokka is very much of a cautious person in all the previous episodes, don't you think? Yeah. And I think also, like, I think Katara is very particular. I wouldn't say she's cautious, but it ties into her bossiness, right? She wants everything done in a certain way. But, like, this is such a familiar fight because it's not, like, an actual angry fight. It's, like, I've been spending too much time with you. We don't have enough space. Like, I'm sure there's tons of fights like this happening in households. Right now, in quarantine. quarantine. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So Aang tries to be the mediator of this situation and tells him to switch jobs. He says that harsh words don't solve problems, but actions will. And ending feuds all in a day's work for the Avatar. That's what he said, because that's his job, to end feuds and, you know, be a mediator. So this is a great setup for the rest of the episode, I thought. Yeah, definitely. I also think it's easier to, like, be in the middle of this when you aren't related to either of them. Like, they're having sibling fights and Aang's there, you know? It's kind of (laughs) awkward. Of course they're going to listen to Aang at this point. 
But, yeah. you know, he also solves a fruit dispute between Momo and Appa. So he's really in his mediator moment right now. Yeah, he even gives Appa a little bit more of the melon than to Momo. But he's like, but Appa has like five stomachs. He deserves more. <laughs> and you're littler. <laughs> um, he's all about fairness. And so they stop at the canyon. And this looks exactly like the Grand Canyon, as you mentioned earlier. It's so beautiful. We learned that mm-hmm. this is called the Great Divide. It's the largest canyon in the world. Katara loves it, but Sokka, as usual, is like, okay, gang, we need to get going. So as they're observing this canyon, someone from the Earth Kingdom joins them, and he's like, kind of super annoying and mean and he says that him and his tribe the Ganjin are next in line for the guide that's going to take them across the canyon we learned that his village was destroyed by you know the fire nation and now the entire tribe is walking to bossing say and this guy is just really really annoying like clearly the gang is going to use oppa to fly across like there's a yeah. flying bison right there <laughs> Honestly, though, it made me want to go to the Grand Canyon. I can't wait. I went a few years ago, but I was like, there's only one other person in line, like calm down. You know, I was was laughing about that. But we also learned that they're refugees, right? This man and his gang are refugees and they're trying to go into a city for safety. As um, Aang, Sokka and Katara are talking to this man, we actually see another tribe walk past. And this is the Zhang tribe. And they're dressed completely differently than this man from the Ganjin. They're really gruff, they're shorter, they're like a little bit messy, while the Ganjin tribe is very neat, meticulous, long hair, clean robes. And the man from the Ganjin tribe says that him and this new tribe, the Zhang tribe, have been feuding for a hundred years. Yeah, which is crazy. And the Zhang tribe is meant to be a society of hunters and outdoorsmen overall. So this is the first time we're actually hearing about um, refugees migrating to the Earth Kingdom capital. This is the first episode where we learn about this Mm -hmm. um, because this becomes way more important in future episodes moving forward. And like, I remember growing up, like watching this episode and not really thinking like, oh, they're like going to Bossing Say, woohoo, you know? And now that I'm older and I realize, you know, the refugee crisis that's going on now and like the fact that they have to walk like hundreds of miles to safety kind of brings off that essence of what's going on in like Central America, people coming to the US. So it like hits different when you're older, don't you think? Yeah, it definitely does. I feel like you just see all of the ideas of war in the background so much more clearly like the Mm -hmm. refugees the internment camps also cultures totally being lost occupation like everything is so much clearer genocide genocide yeah I was like I definitely knew it but not in the same way you're just like wow this hits different when you're 30 watching a kid show (laughs) (laughs) a member of the Zong tribe insults someone from the Ganjin tribe. These guys are enemies. And even though they're here for the same purpose, they're refugees, they're trying to cross the border. They cannot help but fight. I mean, they've been fighting for 100 years. They insult each other about cleanliness, about who's first in line, about, you know, who can take them across. But the guide says, I don't care who's first in line, I'm going to take whoever's here. And the Zhang tribe is here first. But the man from the Ganjin tribe is like, I was waiting in line. However, as soon as he says that, the Ganjin tribe arrives. 
I think also it makes sense that they're fighting so much. Not only do they hate each other, but like, you know, their entire worlds have been destroyed. Their village is burned down. I didn't even think really about that yeah. until just now that like, wow, like, of course they're going to fight. They're angry about like this war, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to decide who should go first. Like the Ganjin tribe has older people in there, so they need to go and be taken across. And the Zhang tribe has a lot of sick people. I think there's also an argument with the Ganjin tribe that... They're like, if the Zhangs were cleaner, they wouldn't have as many sick people. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a low, that's a low burn. A low, and yeah, I- they're really harsh. Katara comes in and she, of course, volunteers Aang to come make a compromise and settle the feud. He is the Avatar after all, and it's his job to keep the peace. And Aang really steps into his role. Like, it's cool. He's not nervous about this stuff anymore. Remember earlier on, he would be so nervous to like really step into his role as the Avatar. Yeah, but he's still like taking his time and he's still trying to figure it out. Like, it's clear throughout this episode, too, that he's still not super comfortable with this role of being the mediator, don't you think? I don't think he's that comfortable, but he's so much better. Like, he didn't want people to know he was the Avatar before, but I think he's really stepping into the role. Like, and he's so confident when he says this, too. He's like, he's loud, he's assertive. He's like, okay, you know, you have to cross together. There's no option. We're putting the old and the sick on Appa, and Appa will take them across. Yeah, that's true. I think it's more of when he's, you know, we'll, we'll get to that part later. I won't jump ahead. <laughs> Sokka, on the other hand, wonders if it's a good idea to get involved at all. But, you know, it is Aang's job to keep the peace. So all Sokka knows is they will be crossing on foot, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, man. Long walk. Yeah. So the guy tells everyone that all the food must go away. You know, everyone has to eat before they go into the canyon or go into the garbage um, because it's super dangerous to have food in the canyon because there's crazy animals down there and the food will attract them. And we're going to see maybe some consequences of food in the canyon, possibly. Foreshadowing. Yup. So as they are walking, there is a gap in the pathway and the guide uses bending to rebuild the path. And Aang is like super impressed by the bending. And the guide says that it's his job to use bending as well as give information for like this group of people, whoever's crossing. Like, honestly, he's my favorite character of this episode. I think he's so funny. He's he's actually really well written. He has a very clear personality. And even though he doesn't have that many lines, like we get a good feel for who he is. Um, and I think when I was younger, I was like, hmm, maybe this guy will be Aang's earthbending master. I was mm-hmm. wrong. but <laughs> I think it's natural to think that. Yeah, because he's like so amazed by the way he can bend too. So you think like, oh, this guy might be important later. He's not, but still. <laughs> maybe that could have like moved the plot forward if he was. <laughs> yeah, I was actually waiting for the plot to be moved forward in this episode. Haven't watched it in a while. So I thought that we would meet a specific character in this episode. But then I realized like, oh, it's not this one yet. So we learned from the guide that the canyon was formed by Earth Spirits because the Earth Spirits were angry that the farmers did not perform an adequate sacrifice. So they created this canyon. And while he's mm-hmm. talking, there's an avalanche and we see the guide use his bending again. So this is probably, you know, he saves them. So I can see why you would think that he would become Aang's earthbending master because he's really like showing off his bending here. And he says, oh, it looks like the spirits are still angry. And he jokes with everyone being like, I hope you all bought good sacrifices to appease the earth spirits. 
Yeah. Another fun fact. Um, this is the only time Earth spirits are ever mentioned in this series, apparently. The guide also uses his bending to make sure that the Fire Nation can't see the refugees. So he's very wise and very strategic. Mm-hmm. Um, however, while he's explaining this... In the background, we see this canyon crawler sneaking up behind him. Um, And canyon crawlers are actually meant to be a mix of a spider and a crocodile, apparently. I don't think it really looks like that, but that's what I found online. (laughs) They look like scorpions to me. They look like huge tarantulas to me. They're disgusting. Yeah, real gross. I hate bugs, so... (laughs) I would not be a fan, but the canyon crawler attacks the guide and he actually goes flying and Sokka uses his boomerang to kind of hit the canyon crawler. But in turn, like that makes the canyon crawler let go of the guide and the guide actually lands on his arm and his arm ends up breaking. So it was like super sad to see that and super scary that the guide's arm is broken because with no arms, he has no bending and they're all trapped in the canyon um, with no earth benders. I think it's interesting that he's like no arms, like no bending because Mm -hmm. you can bend with other parts of your body. I don't Mm -hmm. know if we've seen that in other episodes, but like we see in a future episode that someone earth bends with their head, you know, like in the opening sequence, we see that the person is bending with their legs so like just because his arms are broken yeah. doesn't shouldn't mean that he can't bend at all i was surprised because even uh zuko like he uses his whole body and they focus so much on the feet so when he says mm-hmm. that i was like oh this guy must not be like a really strong bender because he's only using his arms but i didn't really think about that until like i like saw that i was like oh yeah this guy can't be ang's master now <laughs> But it's a really scary situation, right? They're trapped in here and the high tension creates some anger. The Ganjins blame the Zangs and they accuse them of bringing food and the Zangs blame the Ganjins and the guide is completely losing it. I freaking love, I love every line he says. He's like, I won't die down here. I won't be part of the food chain. Like, (laughs) he's just such a great comic relief throughout this entire episode. Scene stealer for sure. For sure. Um, so Aang is like super frustrated about this, but he comes up with a plan to kind of lead them. So he separates the tribes because they're fighting all the time and asks them to walk in separate ways, you know, separate files. And he said Sokka with the Zangs and Katara with the Ganjins, and he asks them to find out why the tribes hate each other so much because it's really being a deterrent for them crossing this canyon. Yeah, they can't focus <laughs> without anyone arguing every five minutes. So the tribe set up camp on opposite sides of the canyon, completely separated. So Sokka's with the Zangs, and he actually notices that they don't put their tarp up and because... They're like, it's dry season. We like to use it as a blanket. So automatically there's a kinship with Sokka and the Zangs. And similarly, the Ganjins put their tarp up like Katara does. So they're like, oh, we can never be too safe. And Katara's eyes brighten. She's like, wow, I actually really like them. Yeah, and it just seems like the tribes are foils to one another, making them foils of, like, Sokka and Katara. And this is where I could totally see, like, this is such a kid show. Like, it's making it super, super clear, like, all these people are the same, all those other people are the same, and they're fighting, you know? But Yeah, and it's like that callback to the fight at the start of the episode is directly tied to this. Like, there's no nuance, right? It's so Yeah, yeah. Um, But it turns out that the Ganjins had food. I was actually surprised by this. Like, these guys were so clean. I I actually gasped. I was like, what? They had food? Yeah, and they were, like, eating it so, like, particularly. (laughs) It's kind of weird that they had food, but it also seems 
like they're kind of prissy, so they would they wouldn't like to get hungry. Um, but the head of the tribe offers some of the food to Katara, and he says that there's no way the Zhangs didn't sneak in food. And with that logic, Katara takes it because everyone is eating. <laughs> so we learn about what is causing this fight, right? So we, we hear the story that the patriarch of the tribe, Jin Wei, this was 100 years ago, he had to transport an orb from the eastern gate to the western gate to match the sun. And this was part of a long redemption ritual for the tribe. And actually, the Ganjin tribe believed that this ritual was needed to purify the tribe's spirit connection. But before he could get to the Western Gate, Wei Jin from the Zhang tribe knocked him down and stole the sacred orb. And I like this different animation. It was very anime to me when I watched Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, the animation in this episode is very memorable just because they merge a few different styles for the flashback, for the storytelling. Also, Aang's expressions in this episode are very, like, chibi, you know, very cutesy. Yeah, I loved it. So we're now at the Zang camp, and the leader gives Sokka some meat, which Sokka loves because Sokka loves meat. And then she says to him, like, I know you're judging us um, just because we're eating and things like that. But Sokka's, like, occupied just, like, eating. (laughs) But I also like this because it seemed like the Zang at least felt remorse about it, like, Mm -hmm. You know, they were reflecting, being like, oh, he's probably judging us for this. But the leader explains that the Ganjin think so lowly of the Zhangs that they would assume that they would bring in food, which means that the Ganjin would bring in food, which means why not bring in food? You know what I mean? That was very, very confusing and such weird logic for them to bring in food. I couldn't even say it. I know it's really hard to say, but it's like they are digging themselves into a hole with this hatred, right? Like that's what's coming out from this like you did something wrong so I'm gonna do something wrong because you're gonna do something wrong and like no one actually is thinking at all they're just like going into this pattern of hatred they're not thinking like holistically or logically at all there's no logic at all it's it's actually just like it's so narrow-minded yeah it's literally just like what's the other person doing I need to be better than them or I need to defeat them and then they're just like it's crabs in a bucket right they're just pulling themselves down further and further yeah And she explains what the conflict was from her perspective. And again, the animation, it's changed here. When the Zangs tell the story, it's very cubist. But when the Ganjin tell the story, it was like very linear art. So the flashbacks to these stories from 100 years ago have their own unique style that match the style of the tribe telling the story. Yeah, and the Zhang flashback is actually designed and animated to pay homage to a Japanese animator, Hiroyuki Imiyashi. I hope I said that right. Um, but he has an animated TV series called The Magical Shopping Arcade, Abenobashi. So that's an interesting take on that. Well, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if there was an animation homage to the Ganjin tribe, but this is what I saw for the Zangs. I should look this up. Like, what are the favorite shows that played an influence? to um the creators of avatar like i wonder if there's like a if they have a reading list or like a tv show list yeah like i think miyazaki is like a clear one but Mm -hmm. it would be interesting maybe i could find it or we could find it and talk about it in the next episode Um, but i i do like when she's explaining about their retelling of the zhang story like she just launches into it Sokka does not ask he's just eating his meat she goes it was a hundred years ago like (laughs) randomly (laughs) Like, isn't that kind of weird? <laughs> He's just like, I don't care. I'm just eating. 
Yeah, I was like, I, I don't really care. Thank you for the meat. <laughs> so in this version of the story, Wei Jin sees the Zhang uh, Jin Wei fallen on the ground. And Wei Jin offers to help him and tend to his wounds. But Jin Wei is like, this orb is so important to my people. Can you protect it? So he tells Wei Jin to take the orb back to the village. And Wei Jin goes into the Ganjin territory. But when he's taken to the territory, he's actually arrested for 20 years. And the Zhang people have never forgotten that they were trying to help the Ganjin, but instead yeah. they were just arrested. Yeah. And don't you think it's interesting that one tribe's uh, leader's name is Wei Jin and the other tribe's leader is Jin Wei? Like they're yeah. the same, but opposite. A very, very clear uh, no telling. No nuance in this episode. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we, you know, cut to a scene where we see Aang, he's up top in another area and he's sitting right in the middle and he's hungry and lonely and he has to be impartial. Um, and it's tough being the mediator. It's tough being the avatar. And I think this is when Aang is kind of frustrated that he can't pick a side. Yeah. Um, Aang asks if the tribes will work together long enough to get out of the canyon. It's the next morning. They're almost there, right? But Katara is like, no way. The Zhangs have wronged the Ganjin too deeply. And she's like, she's telling this with so much passion because the story really touched her. You know, she felt connected yeah. to the Ganjin. She's angry for them. And she's like, they ambushed Jin Wei and stole the sacred orb. But then Aang has no idea. He hasn't heard these stories. So he's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And Sako echoes this. And he's like, what are you even talking about? Wei Jin didn't steal the sacred orb. He was just returning it and he got punished for it. So Aang kind of learns that story right there and then. Um, which will be important later. But Aang says that they should all just like meet at the canyon wall and hopefully like things will work out. But we see that everyone is just fighting and yeah. insulting each other. They can't get it together. They're arguing and like everything descends into chaos. And Aang once again repeats the words from earlier in the episode. And he says, harsh words don't solve problems. Action will. And mm -hmm. the leaders of both tribes agree about this. And Aang is pleased because he sees that the mood shifts. So he's like, wow, I actually did it. It wasn't as hard as I thought. <laughs> and he has those huge, like, cute bug eyes, which I yeah, loved. <laughs> the chibi animation. But yeah. turns out his words don't have the intent that he imagined that they would because both tribes take out their swords and start to fight. So when they think action, yeah. they're like, okay, we're going to fight to the death and end this rivalry. They're not thinking at all about like mediation. Like that's not an action that they're willing to take. So the only thing they're going to do is just like fight to the death to end the rivalry. Like you're trapped in here anyway. Like what is wrong with you? And they're not even caring about their people. Yeah. I wonder if it's like, okay, I'm going to do a deep Cut, right okay. maybe their hatred towards each other has grown because of this war surrounding them they can't take out their energy on the fire nation knowing that it's a lost cause because they're a small village but they can take out their energy out on one another what do you think 100% I mean like it's like xenophobia in a sense between these two villages but that's what people did like during the colonial period right they create separation between the people living there so they're easy to take over if there's a big war like this people are going to turn on each other you know even like uh in our country like white sharecroppers against newly freed black people right you create a hierarchy yeah. of people instead of fighting around the common enemy because you're always trying to look to for your own survival. Yeah, it's it's crazy. 
Um, hot takes from us, guys. <laughs> um, so we see that both of them took out their swords to start to fight, and no one really gets that hurt. Um, a Zhang leader loses a ponytail, the Ganjin leader loses parts of his beard, but you'll see actually that the Ganjin like to fight with a straight sword, and mm-hmm. the Zhang like to fight with a two-handed crested sword. I also think even though they have different actual weapons, they kind of fight similarly, like hard strokes and things like that, and it just showcases more how similar they are, uh, more similar than they think. So Aang stops the fighting, he uses some airbending, but the force of the wind pushes everything away and he discovers that both tribes were smuggling food so he's pissed i mean he hasn't eaten at all and he hasn't really slept and he's so tired and he's just like wow you guys disgust me he actually calls them awful and he's really pissed but then he sees an egg tart and you see ang's bug eyes again and i love these eyes what is it called what do you call it to be really really cute and he's like is that egg tart which is apparently his favorite and he's like yeah he's like can i have it like it's so cute But in the background, the creepy crawlers have discovered the food and they start crawling out of the canyon, you know, and like, I'm so grossed out. So like everyone is running around. And of course, the guide is like, they're coming back for me. They got a taste and they're coming back. (laughs) (laughs) I love this guide. Um, But Katara says that she doesn't care about the feud anymore. When like push comes to shove, when there's death on the line, like she doesn't care about the feud. She just wants everyone to get out of there alive. And Sokka said... He only sided with the Zhangs because they fed him, which you kind of get because he didn't even really talk to the leader when she was mentioning this story. (laughs) So Aang tries to use his glider to fight them, but it doesn't really work. There's just so many of these creatures. It's, yeah, Um, it's disgusting. And while I was watching this scene, like he's trying to use airbending to like get rid of them, but... It made me think air might be the weakest fighting element. And I think that's probably because the air nation is very peaceful. But like in a fight, it's not as impactful. Like if it was a firebender doing this, like it would burn all of the canyon crawlers or make them scared. If it was Mm -hmm. earthbending, obviously they could get rid of them. If Katara had more water, they'd be floating away, you know? So it just... This kind of made me think like, yeah, air is the weakest fighting element for sure. Air is just defensive. You know, I think it's smart and strategic, but it's hard to actually take an offensive role. And that probably influences their entire culture of the Air Nation, right? Because they're all, you know, monks. They're peaceful people. They don't eat animals. Like, they don't want to fight. So it Mm -hmm. makes sense that it's a defensive fighting element instead of an offensive fighting element. Yeah. But Aang has been observing these creatures and he realizes something, that they're extremely motivated and focused on food. Hmm, like Sokka. He realizes that you can use the food to control the animals. So he comes up with a plan of muzzling the creatures with the bags that they have. And so he's like, everyone follow me. And he shows them how to muzzle the creatures. And they do that with as many creatures that they can. And then Aang puts one of the bags of food on his stick and uses that to kind of like get all the canyon crawlers to follow him and train the creature to, you know, follow it off the wall you know they're riding off the wall and they're scaling the canyon which is like super smart but like honestly if ang was like get a bag and get really close to this canyon crawler and then flip over on top of him like i would be scared to death like i'm scared of a spider in my bathroom like there's no way i'd be able to do it with that also just like riding that creature up the wall i was like this is pretty dangerous and frightening But at least they get out of the canyon like they're no longer stuck in there. And this was the smartest move. So they climb out of the canyon. They're at the ledge. And 
angry members to throw the food back into the canyon. So all the creatures actually go back down. Can you imagine if they kept the food there? That would be such a nightmare. Oh my God, they, they wouldn't be getting rid of them. But you know, they're out of the canyon and the tribes are kind of complimenting each other about how they fought down in the canyon and how they got up. And we kind of think that the tribes might actually get along from now on. But they decide that they can't rewrite history and start to rehash the fight about Jin Wei and Wei Jin. But Aang actually tells them to stop. And he's like, wait a second. Jin Wei? Wei Jin? I know those guys. I might look like I'm 12, but I'm actually 112, you know? And he retells this story about what actually happened on that day. Um, and this time, this animation is kind of like a mashup of two of the styles and alters as Aang tells it. So the way Aang tells the story is that Jin Wei and Wei Jin were actually twin brothers, not even enemies. And they were very young. They were eight years old and they were just playing a game called Redemption. And Wei Jin was not thrown in jail for 20 years. He was put in a two minute penalty for going out of bounds. And so um, one of the storyboard artists on Avatar, Kenji Ono, came up with the idea to have a panda as a referee. Mm -hmm. Because by having Aang choose a panda as a referee, it demonstrates Aang's innocence, especially like this complete story compared to the two stories the other people told. I love the visuals in this section, which is why I didn't like hate the episode. I really thought the animation (laughs) was so funny and cute. So like, as he's telling the story, each one alters. So he was like, oh, they were they were twin brothers. You can see that they look yeah. alike. And he's like, oh, they were eight years old. They shrink into the chibi versions. And the soccer game is really cute. And the panda yeah. is super cute. And he's like, oh, although the brothers, you know, they had their differences. One was very messy and one was very stuffy. They really respected each other to share the playing field. And the tribes are shocked about this revelation and they decide to let go of the story and leave it in the past. And they actually decide to travel together as one tribe and join forces, which I think is actually pretty cool. And then I love that the guy like follows behind and he's like, I'm going to, I'm sick of this place. I don't know why I'm giving him this gruff like <laughs> accent, but it just seems right. Also, like one of the lines that stuck out to me in this section was when earlier when they're like, oh, we can't rewrite history, right? But none of them were there. They don't really remember. I mean, maybe they were like, who knows with the ages, but it doesn't seem like anyone actually remembered what was going on. Yeah. And they changed their mind so quickly hearing this new story. Yeah. The way that we build up our past and the way that we build up like our identity as a tribe, right? Like is so random. Like people pick these random stories to follow and believe and just be like, this is what we want to do, you know? And it's so true that like the storyteller of the story has the most influence on history. You know, the person who tells history has the biggest influence. Yes. And you can see that they both had like completely random things and Aang comes in with something totally new. Yeah. So Sokka's like, wow, it's it's so cool that you were there. What are the chances? And Aang is like, well, it didn't actually happen. He made the whole thing up just to like make them peaceful. Yes. Yeah, so and so people are just willing, are going to believe anything. So it's just like, who is telling the story, how you tell the story and what you want to get people to do. Like people are yeah. so easily manipulated. And I thought that was just like a funny moral to the story, right? To this yeah. episode. 
I like that Aang made this whole thing up because like the reason they're fighting is so stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like no one it's not like either of those two people are alive. But if you really think about that story, like the logistics just don't match up at all. Because in the Avatar universe, people live to like a hundred and something years old, you know? So if it was only a hundred years ago, like one of the older people of both tribes would be like, actually, that's not the story at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> But I was proud of Angford's I like step up and make something up to get them to change their mind. Like I was like, oh, that was smart. Usually Sok is the one who's making up random stories and like lies. Yeah, he was very quick on his feet. Yeah, it was really good. So I think I would give this episode maybe like a three or three point five. After learning that this was the worst ranked episode of Avatar, I was like, I didn't think it was bad. I just thought it was pretty average and you know, there's no nuance, like you said. This is very much a basic story and it doesn't move the plot forward. I think also the big thing is that it didn't showcase like anyone's real true characters either. We didn't yeah. like Sokka's character or Katara's character, like the waterbending scroll was kind of a fluffy episode too but it built Katara's character up mm -hmm. and let us get to know her more we learned about these two random tribes that we'll never see again but at the same time it was like an episode that they were like randomly like okay let's just teach a moral randomly in the show so I'm also giving it a 3.5 I like it better when the morals and lessons are tied together as like part of the larger story rather than just like dumped on your head. Two random tribes. Like, the fact that we never see them again, now I get why people hate this episode. <laughs> because, like, okay, I'd rather see so many other stories that weren't covered, you know? Or I would rather, like, get into understanding our leads a little bit better. Or, like, if we could have dived into the fact that these are refugees and learning more about, like, how refugees get into Bossing Say and then mm -hmm. learning more about Bossing Say. Like, I think that could have been a good way to kind of tie the overall story into this episode. So... Yeah, I agree. 3.5. Like, cool, interesting, fun, but definitely not my favorite. Eh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was fun to talk to you. Yeah, of course. I will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.